G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to be talking about domestic and family violence and how churches deal with that. And from the dimension today, as we turn our attention to understanding how churches deal with domestic violence situations uh, through a landmark study by the NCLS Research that revealed that 67% of Australian clergy have experience in supporting people in domestic and family violence situations. Now, this study was the first national cross-denominational analysis of Australian clergy responses to domestic abuse based on data from church leaders and churchgoers in the last National Church Life Survey. That's the one that was conducted 2016. Of course, there'll be a new one coming out very soon. But findings also showed the clear majority of clergy had responded to victims rather than the perpetrators. It was most common for leaders to take a number of actions, with 77% referring victims to a support service and 70% providing direct counselling. Now, an important conversation today about churches and domestic and family violence that might better help us understand if church is a valuable source of help. Dr. Ruth Powell is NCLS Research Director, and it's always a pleasure to have Ruth on 2020. Ruth Powell, welcome back. Mm, thank you for having me, Neil. Ruth, I, uh, I went through a whole bunch of different statistics there in the introduction and some of those need some unpacking, but perhaps uh, just a general overview here. The National Church Life Survey, which uh, lots of listeners will appreciate, is very, very diverse. It covers so many different dimensions. Some people might be surprised that you're actually uh, surveying clergy and people about the way churches deal with uh, domestic and family violence. Take us into the reasoning behind being that being part of the whole uh, research that you do. Yeah, thanks for that. You're, you're quite right. The, the National Church Life Survey is probably well known for um, mapping who goes to church, you know, how old they are, whether they're male or female, how educated, so some demographic pictures. And we also in that survey really focus on church health. Uh, you know, how people experience church, whether they're growing in their faith, whether they feel they belong, sharing faith, and the whole range of church health indicators, if you like. But because it's such an extraordinary thing that hundreds of thousands of people in churches and thousands of local church leaders give us their perspective, we have always, over the last 30 years, we've always tapped into um, getting their attitudes on a range of issues. And in the last, coming up to the previous National Church Life Survey, happens every five years at the same as the time as the census. And coming up to that time, uh, I, I took a role as well as others. Every time we do the survey, we think, what are the core extra issues? What are the core things 
that we need to make sure that if we're going to listen to churches, what should we be tapping into? So coming up to 2016, I, uh, my discernment was that this was an issue that in wider society was getting more and more airtime. It was becoming something that the community was talking about. And we thought, we need to address this. And we knew, of course, you can't do a survey in church and have someone, you know, ask someone directly, you know, are you a victim of domestic violence? That would be very unsafe, very unethical, and it could be that their perpetrator is sitting right near them. So that was not on the table. But what we knew we could do is uh, we could talk to clergy, to local church leaders, ministers, pastors, priests, is what they're called in different traditions, and we could ask them whether they had experience in their ministry of people coming to them for help, and we could ask what they'd done about it. So that's the pathway we took. And I'll just mention, since then, that very first sort of putting our toe in the water of saying we need to somehow evaluate what's going on, we were actually asked to do a major project by the Anglican Church of Australia um, right across the nation. And so in the last five years, we've really done a lot of extra study in this area and we will continue to do that now that we have a foundation of understanding of how church can help and also not help. Uh, in in situations like this. Ruth, I'm going to ask you to read between the lines a little as we're talking through some of these things. And so some of the thoughts that you might share might be uh, personal thoughts. And as you've looked Mm. at uh, the statistics, you might have your own insights because a long-time churchgoer as well. So reading between the lines will be an important element of this, as you say, because sometimes you can't ask the question directly. Uh, because that Mm. can put people at risk. But some people Mm. think that, well, we're in church. There's no problems here. But the reality is, of course, church is an important shaper of marriage and of family and of relationships. And church is Mm. an important place where those sorts of things grow to a level of maturity. And not everybody's at that level of perfection that sometimes we think. We're all on this learning Mm. curve together, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. And I think I, I just want to acknowledge for your for your listeners that across Australian society and in other places in the world, but let's just talk about Australia, domestic and family violence is serious and widespread and it occurs across all communities. And I'm going to expect that if you have listeners here today, there will be people among your listeners who are currently or have experienced some form of abuse in their intimate partner relationships, in their marriages or other intimate relationships. And I just want to put that right up front as we engage this issue that there will be people with real lived experience or for whom this conversation may trigger uh, traumatic memories. Um, So I want to encourage those people to uh, reach out and seek help. If you know there are things that you you need to do to make you feel safe, if you're in immediate danger right now, triple zero is is obviously the thing to do to call triple zero. But there are uh, online support places that you can go to to reach out securely and privately, um, but or someone that you trust and know. If you need to have a chat with someone because today's conversation has been um, difficult for you, I really encourage you to look after yourself. And a little hint we did with our research that we learned from counsellors is that if your 
if you're feeling, uh, you can feel yourself getting distressed, that um, quietening your breathing and hanging on to something physical, you know, feel your feet on the floor, put something in your hand. It's like grounding yourself so that you get back connected with your body and that'll just help you calm down. So I just wanted to say that before we keep our conversation going. Yeah, <laughs> well, look, I think... look after themselves as they listen. Yeah. Those are very wise words, and uh, if there is that trigger, yeah, very wise advice there. Mm. Hey, Ruth, when we talk about church, every church is different because every church mm. has a different leader who was perhaps in their own ministry formation. That happened in different ways. Uh, some were quicker to their uh, succession in leadership than others. Uh, not everybody mm-hmm. has the experience of dealing with these things. So it's an important conversation today. As I mentioned in the introduction, the thought that we might mm-hmm. be able to try and discover and try and work out whether the church is a valid source of help. And as I've just preempted there... Uh, mm-hmm. Some are going to be better than others at doing this. What are your thoughts for what the research might show and how that might relate to people who might need help now? Yes, yes, let, yes indeed. Look, let me address one first issue first. I know it is quite confronting to even think that within church communities that violence may occur, that abuse may occur within households. And I'm, I'm, it's devastating and tragic Uh, that it happens anywhere. And for those involved in church that hope for something more, that hope that these are places um, where it would be less likely, the really difficult news is, both from our studies, but also other studies in uh, in other countries, that violence occurs within church communities as well as beyond it. Now, what, what, what we also have learned is that, as we've mentioned, churches can be incredibly helpful, but also not always helpful. And as you say, one of the reasons for that is um, the experience of the leader. And one interesting thing we we learned about leaders is that the older they are, you mentioned two-thirds, which is a huge proportion, I think, two-thirds say, yes, I have dealt with domestic and family violence situations in the course of my ministry. At some point, I've had to deal with this, this kind of kind of situation. Now, the older the minister is, the older the pastor is, the more likely they are to say, yes, I have dealt with this situation. Younger pastors are less likely. So I think one word is, you know, not only you have um, your, your own background and experience, but if you're in ministry, the longer you are in ministry, you're going to at some point have to deal with this kind of situation is what I'd say to a to a local church leader. And what we what we know from what the churches are doing now is, yeah, it wasn't part of training, I know, in previous decades. It was really on the job that a lot of people have had to learn how to respond. These days, uh, a lot of denominations are doing really good work trying to offer training to equip, to inform clergy about these matters and generally clergy are becoming better informed. I think as a society, we're all learning, um, but I think there's more work to be done. And what we've heard from clergy is, you know, even those who've been trained are still not always confident about knowing what to do. So this is going to be an ongoing task. But great advice just the same, because if you're thinking, I need some help here, I'm going to ask my local church. Well, if you're seeing your pastor in your local church is 
25 and really hip and doing all the cool things, they might not yet have that experience uh, under their belt uh, to say this is the way we can wisely deal with uh, domestic and family violence. So uh, it's just a rule of thumb. And, of course, there will be some who might be better equipped than others. But uh, typically Mm -hmm. an older minister will have been there, done that, seen the water under the bridge and have been helpful and maybe even... Uh, failed a time or two when people have sought help because that's all a part of the wisdom experience when it comes to dealing with these sorts of issues. So look for someone who's a little older who may well have dealt with these things before if you're going to look for help. And of course, when we talk about whether the church is a valid source for help, Mm. uh, there are all these variables. But let me take you to another, let me take you even a step deeper here. Um, some people want to blame the church uh, for domestic violence, uh, even uh, taking the Bible out of context uh, with regard to submission and all those sorts of things. Uh, Ruth, I'm, I'm taking you into a deep end here, and I did say uh, you know your own personal thoughts, but yes, some people do say the Bible teaches that uh, you know domestic violence is okay in some sense because of submission of women to men and all sorts of things like that. What are your thoughts around validity for that? Mm. I'm going to draw on some work we did with our, our Anglican Church study. It was a national study. And one of the things we did there was we actually listened to people who were survivors of domestic violence, who had been part of church communities and were able then to speak directly to whether their church experience had helped or hindered. And they taught us two things really tragically they taught us that although unintended, absolutely unintended by Christian leaders, it is true that Christian teachings can sometimes contribute to and sometimes potentially amplify situations of domestic violence. Let me give you an example because there's another side as well. So the, the problem where it does get absolutely warped and twisted and perpetrators do use it or, or victims themselves mishear. So one is um, understanding that the covenant of marriage cannot be broken. It's an unbreakable covenant. And therefore, if you've made a commitment that a Christian marriage, you have to stay with it. That is um, a, a difficult one. And so the advice um, to to ministers or a a second message, the counter message to that is um, a marriage covenant, like any covenant, is between two people. And if one person has broken that covenant with you by being violent towards you, then that covenant covenant has already been broken. So that was one. Another uh, Christian teaching that is twisted is... um, saying, well, you're supposed to forgive me when I do something to you, says the perpetrator. You're supposed to forgive me because you're a Christian and Christianity is all about forgiveness. And that traps people into thinking that they have to stay. What releases them is a few things. And this is, again, um, what's helpful in churches. And I'll walk through a few alternatives. What is helpful is when a person in authority, a minister, pastor or priest, someone who's in authority, says from that pulpit, violence is not okay. 
Abuse is not okay. And you, God does not want you to suffer. Your life does not have to be entrapped in suffering. So that message from a person of authority, um, because what abuse is about is about power. It's about a misuse of power. And so when someone who is in a position of power, like a minister, and has, um, has that position, when they say it is not okay, it is not acceptable, and this is not God's plan for your life, this is not life to the full, um, that for some women, because it is generally women who are victims, that has been the point where they have been able to see that this is not their life sentence and that they may be able to find a way out. So that's one thing you can do, that churches can do and should do, that, that every time you preach about what a good marriage looks like, you also should be, preach about what is not acceptable within a marriage context. Churches do, um, to actually put um, posters behind toilet doors in the church foyer or something that says domestic violence is not okay. Here's a phone number to ring. Here's a service you can go to. That says to anybody who walks into your church building, um, this church will not tolerate that kind of behavior and will support someone who is trying to get out of that kind of situation. And so there's, there's not only those practical messages that churches can do, but those incredibly powerful messages that from the pulpit where you say you sh- you, God does not want you to suffer, um, the covenant is a two-way covenant, um, and God wants you to have a whole life, a life to the full. Um, these are the Christian messages that actually release people from horrific situations. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You can join in our conversation today. You might have a question or a comment. 1-800-316-316. Dr. Ruth Powell is our guest. She's NCLS Research Director, and we're talking about the real statistics about what happens in church life when there is a response to domestic violence. And uh, 1-800-316-316. In fact, Ruth, I think uh, we might take a call and uh, on a conversation like this, we might anticipate that some might want to be anonymous. And so an anonymous caller from Queensland. Hello. Welcome along. Hi. How are you guys? Very good. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Um, I was just a bit surprised to hear that. Um, I think it was just before um, you guys went to the break, about two-thirds of um, pastors or Christian um, workers in the church had actually successfully referred on or um, dealt with situations involving um, domestic and family violence and abuse. I just wanted to sort of share my experience. Um, my experience has been very much the opposite. Um, a lot of misunderstanding, um, including even with um, someone like a 50-ish senior pastor, so someone with quite a dis- decent amount of life experience, um, even to the extent of having um, being prayed for in church with myself and my children um, for our marriage to be restored. Um, and that can be a really difficult thing for a victim of um, that abuse is to actually sort of, it compounds the trauma because there's a lack of understanding, but also there seems to be 
in my personal experience at least, um, a lack of seeking to understand more or um, how um, liaising with other agencies, because a lot of the agencies are very secular in their approach and as a Christian who values and wants to honour the Bible and its teachings, it sort of in some ways makes it very black and white as in you either follow the secular route and get the help in the secular world or following the, the biblical um, worldview, which in my experience, and I mean others uh, hopefully would experiences would be different, um, is very much like um, not understanding and basically praying and hoping for marriage restoration despite there being no changes in the relationship. You're raising some really important points here, and I'll get Ruth's impressions, um, but there might be a contrast between what happens in secular approaches to restoring a marriage uh, to the way that a Christian minister might approach uh, the restoration of a marriage because they'll always have that aspiration that holding a marriage and family together is a good thing. But Ruth, your thoughts for our caller? Yes, let me just clarify. Thanks for calling in. Uh, I'll clarify that what we found was that two-thirds of clergy said they had experience with dealing with situations. Now, that doesn't mean they did a good job. Let's be clear about that. What it does show, though, is for people who say, oh, this is not a problem in church communities. When we say, look, two-thirds of ministers have had to deal with these situations whether they are people inside their church or beyond their church, it's like, no, it's real. They, you know, ask them. They know it's real and it's happening. So it sort of tries to set aside the, oh, is this even a problem? You go, yes, it's a problem. Once we accept, and it's hard to accept, but once we accept this is a real problem that's happening within and without our churches, then we look at the responses of clergy. And we did uh, we were encouraged to see that 77% had referred uh, people to a service agency and the very strong advice from everybody who does training in this area, everybody who is experienced in this area says you have to bring in special services and the best thing that clergy can do is to partner well with their local services. And that was... Um, discouraging because not enough clergy said we're for, that they were familiar with the kind of services that were there. It's a, it's the kind of thing that has to be a team effort and you need professionals, you need legal people, you need financial people, you need good therapy um, and you need the spiritual support of your religious leader, your minister as well, if you're going through something like this. And I'll never mention one more thing that we were concerned about, which you, you've also raised. Um, we were concerned to learn that four, four in ten ministers said that they provided marriage or couples counselling. Now, that's fine in a situation where couples are having concerns in their marriage and they want to strengthen their marriage. But the question we asked them was, when you're dealing with domestic and family violence situations, what did you do? So in the context of a situation where you know that there's been a misuse of power and one of the people you're talking to is, is it, it, it's an imbalance and is being abused, to say, um, for a clergy to say, oh, we do marriage counselling, shows that they really don't get it. They don't get that, that lack of, uh, the, the misuse of power and that is not appropriate and often it puts the victim into an, a more unsafe situation um, because it becomes something that becomes a lever between 
between the partners, etc. So we were concerned, and it sounds like your experience has also been um, unhelpful <laughs> approach to your situation. Once a clergy person discovers, uh, discerns that this is a situation of um, violence or abuse, then the right response is to actually reach out to support services and, and go with a team effort. Let me ask our anonymous caller here for a moment because uh, clearly you didn't get a helpful response in the churches uh, that you had approached for some help. What sort of help did they offer, if you don't mind me asking? Um, From memory, it was a few years ago that I reached out. Now, honestly, I haven't reached out um, recently regarding it because of that experience. It was basically um, trying to find out what was available, so a lack of awareness about what was available in town in terms of resources. Um, So I think it was referring me to the local um, domestic abuse service or something like that. Um, But then that was pretty much... I already had their details and I'd already been in contact with them. Um, Mm. So that wasn't really new information for me, but there wasn't an awareness of what was available and what um, was brought up as a result of the report that was just mentioned too, which is really vital, is that partnership moving forward because that would would be so much more helpful, especially with the services being more secularly minded and they are quite, you know, go get get the perpetrator sort of thing, which is definitely not my heart and was not my heart in the situation at all. Um, To have that partnership would be great. I've got to cut in because we're about to go to news. I want to thank you so much for uh, bravely Mm. calling in, courageously just sharing your story and uh, we appreciate that so much and uh, I think so many listeners might benefit uh, significantly from that. Ruth, let me touch on something that's very, very important Uh, Because some will say, uh, we're talking about here men as perpetrators, women as victims. And in light of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard conflict that has been publicised all around the world, some are going to be saying, hasn't that exposed women as uh, just as much a a contributor to the sort of uh, violence that can happen within uh, these marriage and family environments. What are your thoughts here? Is there an official statistical response that we can look at? Uh, Is it men or women? How do you approach that, Ruth? Uh, Yes, thanks for for asking that question. Um, We know that violence occurs... Uh, in partnerships. We're talking about inter-partner violence. And yes, it is possible for both men and women to be violent towards each other. However, our studies here in Australia, but also basically every study in the world that I have ever read that is peer-reviewed, academically rigorous um, and solid, and even lots that are not, um, but it is basically beyond question that this is violence is a gendered issue. And by that I mean women are much more likely to be the victims and men are much more likely to be the perpetrators. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen in other ways, um, but that is just the reality that keeps being confirmed. Can I also speak about what we mean by violence? Because I think this might be... It's about how... What are we even talking about here? And I think it's important to separate... Um, what is described as situational violence, where one partner throws a plate at someone else 
or in the moment there is a violent action, right? That can happen and certainly both partners can, can take those violent actions towards each other. What we are talking about when we talk about intimate partner violence and what is uh, defined as, um, you know, the definition that we're using when we're talking about these kinds of issues is something that is, it is different to that. It is where there is a clear imbalance of power between the two partners, where often there are cycles of violence, um, where there are patterns where it goes for a while and then sometimes things get better. Even for years within a partnership, it can sort of feel like you're on stable ground and, and then the cycle of violence recurs again. Uh, it is violence in different forms. It is not just physical, because sometimes people think of it uh, that it's physical violence is when it's a violent or abusive relationship. Um, how it is actually defined is it can be uh, physical, sexual, but it is also psychological violence or abuse, financial abuse, where one partner controls and withholds or spends all of the money so you don't have access to finances to buy things or to, to look after yourself. Um, social abuse is when you're kept apart from your social relationships, perhaps your family or friends, you're not, you're not allowed to see them so you don't get that kind of social support. So there are multiple levels of violence and the last piece I'll just put in there is around coercive control. So when I talk about intimate partner violence, there is this um, ongoing psychological um, frame that happens where it's there is a control of one person over the other person. And so I don't know how that applies to Depp and Heard because I'm, I'm not at all familiar with that situation. But when I'm talking about um, an abusive relationship, an intimate partner violence relationship, it's it, there is an it's all about power of one partner over another. It's not about um, specific actions or behaviours that may be violent. It's about patterns that go over time. Ruth, wonderful insight. And just putting those parameters there helps us understand uh, how you've approached research as well as, as you say, having reviewed all of those studies that you've seen. Uh, wonderful, wonderful insight. Let's take another call, another anonymous caller from Queensland. Uh, hello, welcome along. Uh, yes, good morning. I've got uh, two points to contribute. Uh, number one is I think there's a great opportunity for church communities to include this uh, domestic violence training in their pre-marriage counselling programs. And number two, um, domestic violence, uh, you quite rightly have been talking about it um, in terms of a marriage, but it also happens between a parent and child. And uh, uh, an example of this was uh, the Australian uh, tennis player, Yelena Dovchik, and she came out publicly about um, the abuse her father um, had uh, against her. So thank you very much. Yes, that was a significant uh, case to look at. But thank mm. you so much for your call. Don't go just yet. But Ruth, uh, what are your thoughts for our caller? I, I think um, her suggestion about the contribution within pre-marriage counselling is, is excellent and is part of that um, message from the church from, from the very beginning that says 
this is what a strong and beautiful marriage looks like. And this is what we want to support you as a new couple to aspire to. And at the same time, these signals, these flags, these behaviours do not fit a strong, positive Christian marriage or any marriage. And, that you know, I think that training to say this is not okay from the minister, but also for the minister to do training, for them to understand and recognise what what um, domestic abuse means and looks like uh, is, is critical. And as I mentioned earlier, I know a lot of churches are, are doing this kind of training work at clergy conferences and things like that. Even those ministers who have been through it, we've seen a, a, them have an increase in understanding, like as we all have, as we now speak about these matters and, and brave people have come forward and, and put, put issues forward. I think we're much clearer about um, these issues these days, but there's a long way to go and there's definitely more training to be done or refreshing the training and getting the latest understanding or reminding yourself. I think that's really key for clergy to do. And shall I come to the second point as well yes, there? That, yes. Yeah. Yeah, look, you're, you're absolutely right um, that family violence is, it can be um, parent to child, uh, it can be child to parent. Elder abuse is also a horrific thing that we're learning more about. Um, but it, it can be partner to partner. So in, in our work, we've focused on what I've, I've narrowed down to intimate partner violence. But that is a subset of what you've named as a much bigger issue, which is family violence. And that's then before we get to wider violence between, um, you know, other other just people in the street, etc. So, um, but that's what we're talking just about. Just coming yeah. back to our caller here for a moment. Did you, in fact, have some pre-marriage counselling through your local church that you're noticing didn't include anything about uh, domestic and family violence. Can you give us a little personal insight? Um, thank you. Um, yes, I um, uh, attended a pre-marriage uh, counselling uh, and it was by the uh, the priest. It was actually in the Catholic uh, uh, sort of a church as well as a, a separate program by Centre Care. And I must admit, it wasn't covered at all. Um hmm. Uh, which was yeah. Okay, that um, is uh, that's disappointing that it wasn't covered at all, and I suspect uh, that a lot of the wisdom that might come again, coming back to what we were talking a little bit earlier, if you've got someone who's older and been there and done that and uh, seen some life experience, you might get that sort of insight. Uh, sometimes, if you're just going in for the, you know, we've got a thirty-minute segment and someone rattles through a few. Uh, a few uh, points, uh, you know, we're going through a 10-point plan here and then you're out and there's not much personal and interaction, uh, then you might actually miss out on things. But thank you so much for calling through. Wonderful to hear from you. This is the interesting thing here, isn't it, Ruth, uh, that lots of people these days don't get married in church and people don't get the exposure to pre-marriage counselling that they might have done in generations gone by, where that sort of passing on of wisdom from the older to the younger actually has happened so wonderfully for marriages and families. It doesn't happen that way anymore. You've really got to dig in and expect the best from your local church, haven't you? Mm, and I think local churches hopefully are getting better at what they do offer pre-marriage as well. I think we now... In, in the last few decades, we've seen, um, you know, more marriages break down. There's, 
there's uh, that that understanding that marriages can break down and sometimes sadly abuse is is one of the components of that so i hope that as a society but particularly the church that everybody's working hard to sort of improve our skills and our understanding um to be able to be a positive support for those who who want to get married and i think that first contact as well if you do get married in a church and you make contact with that minister even if you you know things are going well perhaps years into the future if you've had a good experience right up front, it may allow you to think, oh, I might try the church. I might see if someone in the church can help me. Um, Because sadly, one study we did, we discovered of of Anglicans, this was, um, people in the community who said, I identify as an Anglican. They may or may not go to church, but they said, I see myself as an Anglican. And when we asked people in the community, would you go to the church for help? Most of them said, I wouldn't go. Um, those who did go found the church to be helpful by and large. So, you know, let's hope that we can show the community at every opportunity the church is a, is a safe place to go and a place that will support you whatever your circumstance. Let's take another call. Sue is in Ormiston in Queensland. Hello, Sue. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, I was involved in a domestic violence refuge uh, situation about 20 years ago um, my problem was at the end, other end when I went to a pastor for help he told me to go back to my marriage uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. and, and, um, and, and I found that very hurtful and I found that very I was a Christian um, I could have sort of understand what he was saying but I didn't understand why he was trying to send me back into that situation Yes, and if your safety is at risk, uh, we'll all be on your side there, Sue. Uh, restoring marriage is something that I guess Christian leaders have as something that is inbuilt into them as well because uh, we want to see healthy, strong marriages. But uh, Ruth, what are your thoughts for Sue? Yeah, look, it's really sad to hear that, Sue, and it must have been, as you say, very, very hurtful that uh, when you reached out for that support. Uh, that it wasn't there for you. And I think it's probably says that the person you were speaking to didn't truly understand the nature of an abusive relationship, didn't understand the risk that you were at, whether it was psychologically or physically or socially or financially, whatever type of risk that was for you, didn't understand that, that this was not a viable and safe option. If you had got to the point where you felt you had to leave that situation. So I'm, I'm sorry that happened because when a church does well at helping people who have separated, they will do it in a range of ways, um, which I can perhaps speak to in a moment. But I just wanted to acknowledge that that, that does sound very hurtful. Sue, thank you so much for your call. Let's take one more call and we'll try and uh, end our conversation with some of these uh, positive things. Let's hear from Phil, who's in Perth, WA. Hello, Phil. Welcome. Yeah, hi there, Neil. Look, I'm just ringing because I, I, what I haven't heard in this conversation is um, any hope for men who've been in these situations where they're accused of being abused. And, and these are men who may not have ever thrown um, punches or not ever been violent physically, um, but accused of the likes of um, emotional abuse and and you know have may have great 
difficulty in initially coming to understand, well, what the heck am I doing wrong, you know? Um, and, and one of the sides of it is that, um, you know, women, with all the things we're hearing in the secular culture at the moment about how there's so much domestic violence and, and then amuse, emotional abuse, um, that women are talking about these things and they get together in their groups and, and you know, talk about how um, finding little things in marriages that, okay, aren't perfect, but they're starting to label these things as abuse and marriages are falling apart because of what's going on with all the, all the talk and, and men not being able to identify what's wrong. So where's, where's the help for men to identify what they're doing wrong and get these marriages back together? And, you know, men can change, but they need the help to identify what's wrong. Phil, I think so many will be able to hear your heartbeat as you share those things and concerns there. Our conversation today, not necessarily on how you actually uh, find help for men uh, in that, and uh, I've had some other conversations along those lines, and you might like to check some earlier podcasts uh, on uh, issues where we've talked about some issues around men and uh, where to find the right help. But, uh, but Ruth, this comes back a little bit to uh, what we said earlier. Uh, there is a imbalance there. It tends to be men who are the perpetrators. Sometimes it is the women who are also uh, to blame there. But are your thoughts for Phil? Look, I, as, as Neil said, we hear your heartbeat, Phil. I think that you, what, we, what I hear when, when I hear you speaking is um, a posture that is trying to find how you can, or men, I'll say men can, um, change their change their ways of relating, find ways. And language is powerful. And for generations of women who have been silenced as victims more often, not having a language around that or not even being able to admit that you know, it happens and trying to sustain the, the facade of a perfect Christian marriage is has been exhausting and incredibly damaging. Uh, so now there is a language to speak about these issues. And sometimes perhaps that language is used inappropriately, like, you know, he is emotionally abusing me. Maybe that is an ex- overextension in some places. What I think is the, the um, again, the key is for... People who can support uh, men who are who have this um, the challenge of being accused of emotional abuse or psychological abuse or other abuses, etc. It's the same thing. I'd be calling on ministers, but also other specialists in this area uh, to speak into that to know what really the abusive patterns are. It comes back to me talking about those longer patterns and cycles of power and violence that are are coercive and controlling and not just a situational moment. And I think there are support, there is support out there and there should be support providing counselling to to both partners in relationships, etc. I guess we would caution from from what we've learnt, we caution against um, if you know it's an abusive situation, you don't counsel people together, but certainly... um, Counselors and other support people should be offering that to to both parties. And I'll just mention, as a researcher, we know that there is much less 
work being done around what is um, being offered to people who are accused of um, being violent or perpetrators. And there's more work starting to be done on um, understanding that, understanding what helps, again, what helps change, and where there are really embedded patterns that perhaps are very difficult to to shift, and and that may be the case. But um, I think anybody who's seeking to seek life and wholeness and restoration and redemption, well, the church should be right there and right part of that journey with people. Phil in Perth, thank you so much for your call. Uh, We won't take any more calls now. Time's almost running out. I do want to see if we can end our conversation on a positive note and wonderful to have a really open conversation and not to... Uh, paint a rose-coloured glasses type picture and image of the church that not everything is in perfect order when it comes to the way that church leaders deal with domestic and family violence. But I wonder, Ruth, if we were to finish off uh, with the sorts of things perhaps that people in your surveys said that the church did well when dealing with their issues around uh, violence and even after what happens when there's separation or divorce. Any thoughts here? Mm. Yeah, thank you. I think it is good while we know that churches don't always get it right and far from it. We have heard wonderful stories of where churches and church leaders have got it right. They've got it right when they have said publicly that abuse is not okay and you are not called on to suffer. They've given the option and the clear message of what a whole positive partnership looks like. They have helped when they have, um, when someone has come to them, they've assessed and said, we need to make sure you're safe. You, your children, we need to make you safe. And so in one case, one woman said, what I wish the minister had done is just give me the hundred dollars bought me the train ticket and said, get out of here, get out of town. Like, so there's a straight immediate safety. No ministers have put, you know, taken people into their own homes, taken them to refuges, stayed with them, sat with them in court, whatever it is, but safety. Material provision, very basic stuff. If you've particularly a woman and with children potentially, make sure they're fed, they've got blankets, they've got clothes. They may have got into that car and left that house and have absolutely nothing. Don't just say, I'll pray for you. Churches that do it well say, we're going to pray for you. We're going to be here for you. And we're going to make sure you've got food and a blanket, you know, and a roof over your head. So material provision. Another thing that churches do well is offer relationship, care, empathy, acceptance, and be with you for the time. I'm also going to name, acknowledge the person as their own person, not just as a wife or as a husband but that they are a whole person and they're not just an abused wife or husband, but a whole person beyond what's happened to them. Have a spiritual contribution is the other thing that churches can say and help people in their spiritual life because faith is an extraordinary resource that can help people. So that's one that the churches can do that others can't. Yeah, This is an important dimension, and uh, this is the sort of thing we often like to talk about, what churches do that others can't. You can go to your secular authorities for help. There's something that happens in church, though, the dignity of the person, the, uh, the special nature of what it is to be in relationship with one another. Uh, these things are powerful things to be able to enlarge on. 
But we have run out of time, Ruth. Is there a way that listeners today can access any of the sort of research that we've been talking about, especially around uh, domestic and family violence? Is that freely available online for listeners? Yes, it is. Our website, ncls.org.au. You'll be able to read uh, web articles about general findings and also um, different findings for different denominations. Uh, The Anglican study I mentioned is available on the Anglican General Synod website. Uh, Those papers are freely available as well. Uh, And um, a group called commongrace.org.au actually provides resources to help churches support and prioritise victims of domestic and family violence and to engage these issues. Common Grace and others have been really working hard to support and train and equip churches. Wonderful insights and a wonderful referral to some of those uh, those things that listeners today can get a hold of. And uh, for church leaders, and uh, there will be people who will be a part of churches thinking, I wonder if my pastor or minister is listening to this and they need to have some detail. Well, write down those those addresses, commongrace.org.au, I think you said, commongrace.org.au. Uh, that's a way that churches can become better equipped to be able to handle these things. These things are messy at the best of times. Not everyone will handle things well. Some wonderful rules of thumb, uh, those insights just to refer back to. Uh, find someone, if you're looking for help, an older minister who's been around for a long time. They've likely seen all sorts of cases just like yours. They may be better equipped to handle things than a younger minister. But that doesn't mean that sometimes ministers don't come to their calling uh, through their middle and later years too. So uh, you've got to be able to look at each one differently and assess each one as you are looking for help. But churches, I think we've discovered, are in fact a wonderful place to seek help. But uh, you might need to just make sure you dig in there and work out how your church can help you in the situation you're in. Ruth Powell It is just a wonderful opportunity to connect with you once again. No doubt we'll be talking a little later this year when there's some results coming from the National Church Life Survey or from the census details that are coming out. You're across a lot of wonderful things when it comes to the church. Ruth, I want to thank you so much for your contribution today. Listeners will appreciate that so much. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Thanks so much for tackling this tragic, difficult, but incredible the important issue with me and look forward to chatting about other conversations later yeah thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from vision christian media to find out more about us go to vision.org.au